Paul, thank you, and uh, hello to those online, especially to Rachel. I'm sorry you're not here, but um, it's good to see you online. And uh, well, I can't see you online, but and others online as well. Um, it's a great joy, actually, it's a genuine joy for Jackie and me to be back here with you. Um, it is 22 years since we first came to this uh, church when I was working at what was headquarters land uh, over at uh, well, it's a big, big estate now, isn't it? Smart housing estate, uh, and um, we lived in Harlem. Uh, and we've had attachments to this church over the years, so it really is great to come back. Uh, and I have to say, what a joy to listen to Paul and the group lead us in worship. I don't know, if you're in the, when you're in the middle of this stuff, whether you quite appreciate what that is. Uh, and I want to acknowledge it, because you lead us so well, and um, it's, it's quite special. Love the socks, by the way, as well. <laughs> and I appreciated the prayer that I might remember what I'm, so that was good too. I'd like us to turn together to um, uh, the Bible, to Acts chapter 1, uh, often associated with um, uh, Pentecost, but this is prior to Pentecost. It's Acts chapter 1, and reading from verse 1. And I'm reading from the New International Version of the Bible. It's Luke who is writing. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So reads the word of God. Um, I did love the um, uh, emphasis and the... Um, the plug, quite rightly, for Thy Kingdom Come, because um, the military still use that as well, and it's launched each year at Lambeth Palace by the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, for the military. So Thy Kingdom Come is something that is taken up within the armed forces as well. It's a great piece, uh, and I can't commend it enough, and we just thought great pieces, and say one for me is a very typical thing that soldiers would say as well. Say one for me, even if I do it myself. Okay. Um, I want us to focus um, on the passage that we have, and let's see where we go with the PowerPoint. Do I need to? Yes, there we are. Well, you can't see the mountains yet, but um, you will now. Um, those three, they're in uh, sunshine, of course. Uh, uh, ben Nevis and uh, Scarfell Pike in England and Snowdon in Wales. Um, any uh, big venture needs very careful preparation to give that venture the best opportunity to achieve the goal. Now, has anyone done the Three Peaks Challenge in this room? 
anyone done the Three Peaks Challenge? Okay. Nor have I. <laughs> okay. I was going to ask if anyone's done the Three Peaks Challenge in under 24 hours, but I haven't. Actually, I have, but not by climbing them. So when our children, uh, Dave and Becky, um, decided uh, <coughs> just after university that they wanted to do the Three Peaks Challenge, but to do it in under 24 hours, I said, I'll join you. And they said, don't be silly. <laughs> you are too old to move at the pace we are going to move. I said, I've done a few things. Yeah, but that was then. So... Um, to do so, we need a driver. We need someone who can read a map, dangerous in my case. We need a chief cook, a bottle washer, an alarm clock. Um, they got all those things from me, but it took a lot of preparation to do. Uh, just to work out how we could get to Ben Nevis and make sure they climbed, make sure that we got out of Scotland and down to Scarfell Pike so they could climb that at midnight. Uh, and it was pouring with rain. It was awful. And then down to Snowdon by the early morning for them to climb that as well. Well, they did it in 2220, which is pretty good. Um, I found it exhausting, um, but survived. My point being that planning and preparation, waiting and wondering is really key to anything that goes well. So... Um, I want to address, really, something from Scripture on between what I would call the dawn and the fire. The dawn of resurrection morning, the extraordinary morning of Jesus being raised from the dead, is phenomenal. Without this, we have no faith, as Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians. Between the dawn and the fire of Pentecost, one of the pictures given of, um, of the Holy Spirit being given to the church on its birthday. Um, they were, as the scriptures teach in Acts, as Luke records, 40 days of preparation. And um, in the Christian journey, um, scripture affirms that waiting time is not wasted time. Uh, waiting time is preparation time, which is active and dynamic and productive, but in a different way from the kind of efficiency that the world chucks at us. The Psalms are full of commands to wait on the Lord with reflections on personal waiting upon God, whatever is happening. So between the dawn of the fire, resurrection morning, and Pentecost, the risen Jesus helps prepare the disciples for what is to come. And they are given a gift from God of 40 days preparation. So before we talk about the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, we should reflect in this period of time in the church on what preparation might mean and how important it is. Because very often we just wipe it away. We say it's of pretty much no relevance. Nothing seems to be happening. Well, not so. 40 days were a gift from God. And the 40 days are significant. 40 in scripture always suggests significance, whether it's the years Israel and Moses spent in the wilderness because of their disobedience, 
or the 40 days Jesus and his victory in the desert over temptation and his obedience to the Father described. So the 40 days is a, a lengthy period of time that's important in Scripture. Here are 40 days. And the disciples will need all of the 40 days of preparation. And as the day progresses, the light does get brighter and the fire gets clearer. And it does one thing, which is, if you take nothing else away from this morning, I hope you take something of this away. Not just waiting time of reflection and prayer, but this. What Jesus was doing, amongst many things, I suspect, and I put it in this, these terms, he was helping the disciples to exchange their baggage for luggage. In this room, online, Every single one of us holds a measure of baggage. doesn't matter who we are. There is stuff that we carry and sometimes <clears throat> deliberately continue to carry and sometimes wish we could be free from these burdens. The baggage we carry, in the preparation time, Jesus was teaching his disciples to certainly exchange what is baggage for luggage. Luggage is intentional. At the moment, I'm uh, involved in moderating at Livington Baptist Church, um, who've gone through some uh, local difficulties. They're doing well. And on a vision day, uh, just a week ago, week ago yesterday, I met a couple who'd just come back from the Galapagos. Very nice place to go. And they came back. I said, how much luggage do you take? Ah, they said, we had a big adventure over there because in our, in our rooms, we looked at loads of stuff and then we said, you can't take that and you can't take that and you can't take that to each other. Quite what the response was, I don't know, but they, you, know, you know how it works. And, and they just said, we became ruthless because to go that distance for that length of time, they had to turn a lot of baggage into luggage. Luggage in a suitcase is intentional. I'm going somewhere. And in the disciples' case, they're going somewhere with others. It's not just a, an individual thing. The, the Christian faith is always personal, and we've sung of that, but it's never individual. God meets us personally, but he doesn't just meet us individually. We walk with others. And so this period of waiting and preparation was definitely a time when um, they were trying to exchange baggage into luggage. And the disciples are in a new country, resurrection country. And Paul, very helpfully this morning, has reflected that in our worship to remind us. We are in resurrection country. This is a new perspective. It is not to say that tough times will not come our way or that we will not experience pain. I do not in any way want to um, disregard that because it's real to our human experience. But it is to say, when we are in resurrection country, there is a different perspective. And the view changes. And this extraordinary preparation is marked out by two big truths. I've only got two big truths to bring you, so you can relax. It'll be over in two minutes. A bit longer. Compelling evidence and clear explanation. Compelling evidence of the resurrection of Jesus and its strangeness and hope. And clear explanation 
of the kingdom of God with all its imagery and, um, and its humility as well. So, oh yes, there we are. They're happier. They're on their way. So the compelling evidence is, is what? Well, in the Gospels, Jesus appears to disciples in many different situations. And um, we read of at least six, um, and some of them are quite strange. What Jesus did in meeting with the disciples was to certainly indicate that the resurrection was real. However, there is a strangeness to it. When Mary Magdalene was at the tomb in John chapter 20, John records in verses 14 to 18, she does not recognize Jesus. He is risen from the dead. She does not recognize him. Tell me how she recognized him. Those who know the story, the voice, Rabona. It is only then she knows. Now, why doesn't she know before that? I don't know. And commentators write about it, and they don't know. There is something strange about the resurrection of Jesus. It is extraordinary and physical, but there's a strangeness about it. In John chapter 20, to frighten disciples behind locked doors, he appears. Now, I don't mean to be disrespectful to say, beat me up, Scotty, but it almost appears that way because he comes, as, as, uh, as John records, through, through the door. How is this? He is physical. He is physically raised from the dead. There is a strangeness about the resurrection that we can't understand. And, and actually, that little phrase that Luke uses in the Acts of the Apostles, uh, when uh, they asked him, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He's, they ask in verse 6. And he says to them in verse 7, it's not for you to know. I love that phrase. It is not for you to know. There are things we will never quite understand because we're human and God is God. And that's okay. The resurrection is one of those things. There is a strangeness about it. A week later, he appears to disciples and Thomas and there is faith. But it is an extraordinary thing that the nail prints are still there in the resurrected body. On the road to Emmaus, Cleopas and who? We don't know. They don't recognize Jesus. And their eyes are opened when he shares bread with them. But they don't recognize the resurrected Jesus. How strange is that? It's real. But there is a strangeness about it. At the Sea of Galilee, the disciples and Peter, that great uh, chapter in John chapter 21, where there's forgiveness and commission, but they don't recognize him at first. And then, of course, Peter, being the person he is, when he does recognize Jesus, jumps into the water, you know, the kind of thing Peter would do, and rushes uh, to meet him and greet him. And, and so they have breakfast, and Jesus eats fish deliberately to show that this is not a mirage. So he appeared to all of these people, individuals and groups and congregations, in their need. But there was something strangely unknowable about this, beyond their human knowledge. And I think that's quite important for us to hold on to. We cannot explain everything. 
nor can, nor should we. Some of these things are by faith. Paul opens this up in 1 Corinthians 15. But this was something that the disciples were learning about in the 40 days. Well, they reflect on the meaning of the resurrection as well. Not only was it true, uh, but something of its uh, meaning uh, as well. Uh, that it meant that there was hope, uh, there was an assurance of a future, even though they don't know all about the future at all. There is forgiveness, there is commission, there is challenge, there is presence. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you. We can't explain it all. That's partly what faith is about. But in these 40 days, the first big thing that Jesus did was provide compelling evidence up to a point, up to a point. So what's the second big thing? The second big thing was an explanation. Because Jesus, if you look at the scriptures in Acts 1, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Got it. Compelling evidence. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Again, Paul has helpfully reflected that both in our prayer, our prayers, and in our songs as well. So this background of, um, of 40 days was the, the, the help of bringing some clear um, explanation about the kingdom. The kingdom is a strange thing. What is the kingdom of God? The Gospels speak a great deal about it. Paul doesn't say very much about it. But Jesus, when he's asked the question by the disciples, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, are you going to get rid of the Romans? Are you going to become the big sovereign king and get those pesky Romans out of here? Are you going to liberate us? He says, no, it's not like that. Do you not remember my teaching on the kingdom? The kingdom of God was central to Jesus' earthly teaching. And he reminds them that the kingdom is spiritual in nature, not physical. And verses 4 to 6 underline that. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, spiritual in nature, will bring you strength and power and presence and peace in ways that no earthly king or sovereign can do. So this kingdom is not about territory or dynasty or an earthly kingdom of great pomp and ceremony. It is about the kingdom of God, as Jesus said, will come within you. It is within you. The reigning rule of God. It's not actually about the church or institutions or organizations. It's the rule of God in personal lives, in creation, and in society. So in the Lord's Prayer that we said together, Every time we say it, whichever version you use, thy kingdom come, your kingdom come. It is not a majestic sovereign kingdom. It is a spiritual by nature. It's the rule of God 
in lives and communities and societies. And it's rooted in the work of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't ignore body, mind, and world, or tangible things, but it is holistic, and its, and its nature is, is spiritual. So the kingdom of God is essentially spiritual in nature. Jesus spoke about the kingdom to them in these 40 days. This was preparation for all that they were about to face. Second thing about the kingdom. Oh, yeah, within it is the place of prayer. Prayer is key to the kingdom. Thy kingdom come. In preparing for this, I looked at Ephesians chapter 1 and looked at what Paul was saying to the Ephesian Christians whom he loved greatly. He was there for two years. Um, and he was, he was emotionally quite bereft when he, he had to move on from them. But it's worth reflecting on that chapter 1, the great prayer that's used at the beginning and goes on from verse 15 through to 23. It's an extraordinary prayer uh, of asking that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened, opened, spiritual by nature, but it's done so in prayer. And then you get these huge affirmations in that prayer about God and Christ and the Spirit. So though the kingdom is spiritual in nature, the place of prayer helps us to focus on it. This is deeply countercultural. And what is particularly deeply countercultural is however you pray, whether it tends to be transactional by Lord, I've got this. Can you give me this? Can you bring that? Can you do that? Transactional prayer. Or whether you also include transformational prayer, which is, Lord, do this in me. Do that in someone. And to do so, sometimes you need to be still and quiet. And we don't do quiet very well. It's deeply countercultural to be quiet and stuff come buzzing in and distractions. And actually, Paul mentioned distractions as well. I'm sorry to keep referring back, but it integrates. This has integrated because you've carefully thought about this as you look to worship, as you always do. It's spiritual in nature, and prayer helps us in that. The second thing is, it is subtle in its timing. Verse 7 indicates this. It is subtle in its timing. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. We want to have everything mapped out because that's how we are. It's partly about control, actually. It's partly about having control over things. Faith is not about having control. Faith is about trust that God will work things through. So if his kingdom is subtle in its timing, it suggests the priority of faith. The parables teach the kingdom of God. If you look in Matthew 13, not necessarily now, but if you look in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, what Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is like, look at this, he says, it's like this. It's like a sower who went to sow, and it took time for the seed to grow. Or take the uh, parable of the mustard seed in the same chapter. Uh, just have as much faith as a grain of mustard seed and see what happens, see what can happen. And the parable of the great pearl of the pearl of great price, 
where a man goes and sells everything to buy that pearl. Or the, the field, where there's treasure hidden in the field. The kingdom is like that. You want to give everything up to buy that field because you know within it is something important. The kingdom is subtle in its timing. And Matthew 13, uh, which Jesus spoke again and again in parables of the disciples, he probably reminds them of some of those things about the kingdom. It is subtle in its timing. You will not be able to work it all out. Trust him. The third thing about the kingdom. Priority of faith. How much do I trust? So the third thing about the kingdom, it is international in its rules. And um, this is extraordinary. You will become, in verse 8, witnesses uh, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth that they knew at the time. Uh, this was extraordinary to them. Because these were people who were very local and did not regard themselves as particularly going beyond at the confines of either North Galilee or South Galilee, which is well, southern Judah, which is where Jerusalem was. But here Jesus is saying, this kingdom will stretch all over the world. Now, we know that because of the age we live in. We know that. They didn't. They did not know that. But Jesus is right. This kingdom is international in its rule. Today, and actually for the Australians and Samoans and Fijians, it was yesterday, they've already met for worship. And those in Hawaii are yet to do so. It is extraordinary. This kingdom has gone all over the world. The disciples did not know that. But they trusted that what Jesus was teaching them was going to be. That is a matter of extraordinary faith of what God in his kingdom can do. Christians in Russia. And in the context of the day, that is quite a thought, is it not? Christians in Ukraine. Christians in China. Christians in Afghanistan. Christians in all sorts of places. Christians in the Middle East. Part of the huge company of people across the world, we are part of that. In our small setting here, we're part of that. This is extraordinary. So when Jesus was teaching the disciples in this preparation time, he was helping them to begin to understand that they're part of something massive as we are. So whenever the local becomes a bit ordinary, because it can, remember the global, where God by his spirit is at work, and pray for it and be involved in it where you can. There are people who go out and do things in other countries, uh, when they, particularly when they get older and have a bit more time perhaps, and they volunteer. They say, I will, I'll, I will go. I will go and do some stuff somewhere else. Uh, and cooperate with what God is saying to us. Now I have the time to do so. But the last thing I want to suggest to you is this, oh, which is a reminder of perspective of place. And the perspective of place is this is not the only place where God is and where God works. 
and that should always encourage our prayers and our faith. And the final thing then is Jesus is saying, in a, in a sense, this kingdom is energizing in its expression. Verse 8, again, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses. The energizing, the power of God, not political power, not church authority, not social standing, but the dunamis, the power of the Spirit. Energy, energy, and its importance. The power of God in creation, in people, in situations. Jesus was teaching as he went uh, along to uh, speak of those things with the disciples. So in closing, I want you to think about this morning not only the clear explanation and the compelling evidence in this 40 days, this in-between period. What makes a good curry? I know it's a bit left field at the end of the sermon. I know. And you think, what on earth is he doing? What makes a good curry? Mix of spices, thank you. What else? Lots of it, thank you. <laughs> Lots of it. <laughs> Lots of it, yeah. What else? Friends to share it with, thank you. Oh, I like that. What else? Time of preparation. Vegetables. You want a vegetable curry. That's okay. Time and preparation. You need time. A good curry, you need to, you can't rush it. You've got to let it soak. And you have to prepare. You've got to use, when you're using spices, you've got to crush the spices, let the fragrance come out. You've got to um, keep them in oil. Let, let, them, let them do their stuff. Why do I say it? Well, there is time to chew on these truths. And I think the disciples did over 40 days. That's quite a long period. That's almost, how many weeks is that? Five? Five, seven, thirty-five? Six weeks? Quite a long time, isn't it? Very countercultural to us. Waste of time. They were thinking about these things, working them out, trying to internalize them. And the day of Pentecost arrived. And I don't think that Peter, when he stood up to preach on the day of Pentecost, I don't think that that synopsis of his sermon, because it is, I don't think that came out of nowhere. It was inspired by the Spirit, but Peter, who was an unschooled person, had worked through stuff over 40 days. He'd worked at it, and clearly the explanation and the evidence helped shape his inner life, his thinking, so that when the Holy Spirit did come to the church, and to him in particular, he was able to open up those things. It is not wasted time. Meditate on your place in the kingdom of God. Reflect on where you see the kingdom of God to be active and join in. Think about how you can prioritize your life according to the kingdom and you and I will be richly rewarded in our souls and we will see things in a truer light and a better perspective. I want to close with this.
and I don't need to say much, but for you to read the words, and at some level to get to that. This is a good period of time before Pentecost to do some thinking and praying around these areas as the disciples clearly did in that 40 days. God grant it. I'm going to ask us to pause for a moment before we sing and close, but I want us to be quiet and pray. Let's pray. Lord, still our hearts. Speak to our hearts. Open our hearts. And help us as the early disciples did as they waited and prepared to exchange heavy burdens with light luggage. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.